Hi, everybody. Um, I'm just going to check my microphone works here. Um, my name is Emer Lowe. I'm foreign editor with RTE, and uh, Human Rights Defenders have very kindly asked me to come along tonight and um, moderate a brief Q&A um, after this evening's documentary. Um, so if we just invite uh, Chris and the Venerable up onto the stage as well, and uh, I think a round of applause. Um, so in a moment we'll um, ask some questions, you'll get your opportunity maybe to, to um, put some questions to Chris and to the Venerable um, themselves about the, the documentary that you've seen, but I guess first of all, um, Chris, uh, this um, documentary took nearly 10 years, a decade of your life uh, to complete. Whenever you embarked on it all those years ago, did you have any idea that it was going to turn into, I guess, such a, a dominant feature of your life? No, it took 25% of the time I've been alive to work to finish the project, so I had no idea that it was going to take this long. Um, I'd been to Cambodia as a tourist in 2006, just travelling as a backpacker around Asia, and came to Cambodia and spent a few months there. Just became really fascinated by the country and the people, um, just the generosity and warmth of people there, but also the history as well was so much so present and you know everybody that you meet there who's over the age of 45 has survived a genocide either as a victim or a perpetrator and that's a very unique thing um, and I just decided that I wanted to go back and make a film there but a lot of work had been done on the, the history and the you know the Khmer Rouge and that but nobody was really looking at what was happening uh, in modern Cambodia so I started to do some research and came across the land rights story, um, applied for some funding from the Irish Film Board in Northern Ireland screen, got that, went out, originally it was supposed to be three months, we were going to go and film like a kind of a sit down social issue documentary, um, but then when I met the Venerable and the people from Bangkok Lake I decided that it would be much more interesting as a film to be there when things were happening and document things as they were unfolding rather than have people recounting things in interviews, so three months turned into six years and yeah. So, <laughs> that can happen, I guess. Um, so three months in and then you kind of figure this is, this is taking legs, it's going places. Mm. Did you envisage that you were going to stay with it to the bitter end and that it would take up such a chunk or did you just take it day by day and just see, just see how it was going to happen? Yeah, I never, I mean, you never know with these things how they're going to, how they're going to pan out. Um, I was very fortunate and lucky, I guess, in that the people that I chose to film with became such prominent individuals. I mean, the Venerable, when I met him, was just in, in a press conference in Phnom Penh filming his uh, fellow community members who were appealing for the release of other villagers who'd been arrested and he was there with his little Nokia N76 camera phone filming and I thought it would be really interesting to film another filmmaker to be able to reflect on you know the role of documentary in the kind of wider political context um, and then you know by the end of the film you see the venerable he's on the world stage as a human rights defender he actually won the, the Martin Ennals award which is like the Nobel Prize for human rights uh, in 2012 and People were so generous and so willing to let me into their lives and they were they risked a lot. The Venerable risked a huge amount in order to allow me to film and document him. So I felt a real ob obligation to stay and to document the, the story and try to be there. Like the, the political protests that you see in the film emerged very organically from the land rights protests. So it felt like a very natural thing to continue and cover that as well. 
and I was very fortunate in that the last shot in the film is the last thing I ever shot. So when Srepo turned her head away from the camera, I knew that the film was, was complete and that I was ready to start editing it then. Okay. It felt like a natural ending. So how long the editing process itself must have been? I mean, the amount of filming that you must have done over that period of time, that must have been an absolutely mammoth task to then start into years of, of footage or, or, or were you kind of did you you know sort of have a plan in place as you went along? No this film I mean so many films I think are made in the edit suite and this one definitely was constructed in the edit suite. I knew what the story was but we didn't know how we were going to arrive there and what scenes were important and what weren't because the film is constructed in a way where we don't rely on voiceover and we don't have interviews so it's very Every the, the this you know the logic of the film is constructed from within the scenes themselves, and they're all observational scenes. So it's quite difficult and complex to be able to make the film coherent and understandable when you're relying on this observational material. But we were very fortunate in that we had an exceptionally talented editor in the beginning who worked on the film, a guy called John Mister, um, who's done a lot of fiction films as well as documentaries for been editing since he was an editor on the Monty Python films in the seventies. Um, so we were very lucky to have someone of that calibre work on the film. Um, and did, did you have that idea of shooting that style, you know, that it was very much in the moment? Is that, did that just very much speak to you at the start, this is how this is going to unfold, or how, how did that come about? Uh, not having the funding to have a real crew, I guess, so it was just me with a camera, um, oftentimes there filming and just basically trying to understand, not really speaking the language, so trying to work off of kind of what you could feel, what you could sense was happening. So it was very intuitive for as a filming process and that was, I mean, the, that reason, because it was a modern story and something that was happening in Cambodia today was the reason that we decided not to have interviews but to have to try to document it in reality so that it unfolds in real time when you're watching it, it feels almost like a drama, you know, because you, you're, you're with the story and you're not given tons of context or historical background or anything, you're just thrown straight in to the story and then by the end of it hopefully you have, you know, a kind of a deep understanding of what you've experienced and what you've seen. That was one thing that actually struck me that I thought must have been very difficult, the language barrier. But the fact that you are very intuitive because, you know, there were parts when the Venerable was in the minibus um, towards the start of the, the documentary and he's surrounded by the villagers um, and, and he gets a little bit emotional when the villagers are sort of, you know, saying they're going to lay down their lives to protect him. But you, you wouldn't have known exactly what was happening then. I had no idea what was going on. I was just filming. <laughs> I'd stay, I just stayed in the van. I said, I'm not getting out of the van. I knew they were trying to arrest him, so... I was just, just stayed with him and tried to film everything. I was worried, we were worried that they would grab him and take him away, so. That was the other thing as well, was that um, the authorities seemed quite tolerant of you, of the camera there, you know. I think as a journalist, sometimes in those situations, you're kind of waiting for the hand to come across the camera lens. Mm -hmm. um, but they did seem to sort of tolerate you for, or, or maybe there was a lot of stuff that we didn't see. There were, there were a lot of hands in, in the camera lens. No, they, I mean, I never published anything. So I wasn't a journalist as such. I was there as a, as a documentary filmmaker. So I never published anything publicly until now. So maybe if I go back now, it would be very different. But um, <laughs> there's also, I think, with the authorities in Cambodia, there's this great combination of corruption and incompetence. So you were kind of, I had a, I had a press pass that I wrote from my, set, my company to myself saying that I was employing myself to be a filmmaker and that, that allowed me to work as a journalist in the country. So, yeah, it's different. I mean, I'm making light of it, but it's very different now. And a lot of the footage that you see later in the film was recorded by Cambodian journalists who are in prison today for doing their job. So it's the situation for Cambodian 
journalist is much more grave than it is for foreigners, certainly. I think I should probably ask the Venerable the next question, because I wondered, Venerable, before, before we get on to your work, um, what was it like having, or what was the reaction to having an Irishman there um, documenting all this? Were people surprised at the level of interest, or did you just think this is a crazy Irish guy who, you know, I'll go along with what he says? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he should be used you, to a northern accent, what did incidentally. You to, to uh, make this document. Yeah. Mm, in Cambodia, you know, uh, not many uh, uh, journalists or media, international media or national media, to uh, film like this because of the government always they not welcome to the Khmer people, to the foreigner people to film about uh, activity for protesting or like, uh, for example, documentary uh, like this. But for my people, we are very happy when we see the foreigner to film, so we are strong, like, oh, we have big camera, <laughs> so we're not afraid police because we have a big camera. But Always, uh, the uh, police or the government, they, um, uh, for example, Chris, when he go to Cambodia for tourists, no problem. But if for film like a big, big camera like this, the police, they will follow. For example, in my uh, village, my temple, when Chris go there the first time, so many, many police around in my temple. They ask uh, about Chris uh, like this, like that. But uh, for the victim, for example, for the land uh, community uh, for eviction, they are very happy and welcome to the uh, foreigner or to the journalist, yeah. but the government or police know right now, not only Cambodia journalists in the prison, but also foreigner journalists also come from Australia. He just fly the drone camera to film uh, uh, opposition party marching during the campaign vote election in 2000. Seventeen, right now in the prison, not free yet. So for me, many times that they prohibit me uh, take away from take away my material like camera, a smartphone, and although including a VCD or DVD that I'm edit, the police they go to my temple and take out everything. So this is Cambodia, no freedom media. Yeah. And right now, big problem, better than, this is just a part problem that you, all of you see. But right now, big, big problem is happen in Cambodia because of they delete everything. Delete opposition party, delete uh, freedom of media, like Cambodia, Delhi, 
OFA Radio Free Asia VOA or many things and including the activists of the human rights defender like me that just use the smartphone to film also so very bad situation yeah no democracy yeah. And Venerable, how are you treated now in Cambodia? Because you had to flee at one stage, but what is the reaction that you get there now? Uh, how is the situation for you now in Cambodia? Um, not only for me, the situation, the bad situation, uh, many, many people that working for uh, human rights, for democracy, for example, uh, Miss. Uh, uh, Mrs. Stephanie, right now she's still in the prison that all of you see in the Cambodian Spring documentary. So almost two years, not free yet. But she uh, was arrested and detained in the prison three, three times. Just start from the advocacy for land, uh, for uh, justice, uh, their home, their land. So the situation for me or for right now, according to the political situation, is still bad like this, so very bad. Yeah. Right now, um, uh, uh, the government, they uh, regard that all activity like uh, like me or like in the film is a revolution. So when they accuse, uh, we just filming, we just talking, we just doing like advocacy for land rights or natural rights defender or human rights defender, they accuse all, all group is a revolution. They need to delete all. Yeah. So very bad problem. Yeah. And Venerable, when did you become a documentary maker? <laughs> the first, I don't know what documentary, what the documentary maker, I don't know. This is just I know when I'm uh, work with Greece and uh, many years, and I learn from Greece, I learn from uh, the 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 movie some 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 movie and I know documentary like this like that the first time no I don't know what documentary I just film 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 to <laughs> to uh, edit in the VCD and yeah VCD video only to give the community to see what happened uh, what real uh, evidence what real uh, video happen in um, in our community or one police they block the road one police they shooting fighting so we just film film and we did in VCD only so uh, but as I um, learn from Chris or from a journalist and then I know oh the uh, documentary very important yeah to see what happened and to saw uh, what uh, happened real to the world or to uh, 
Cambodian. So a Cambodian spring is very important for me and for Cambodian. But I think uh, the government they not happy, and also maybe they angry to Greece also to uh, to make this film before no money. He Chris can uh, go everywhere with me. Yeah, to. Uh, but right now, after the uh, Cambodian Spring is made uh, by Greece and uh, published to the world like this, one go back, maybe uh, bad problem to him. Yeah. <laughs> because now bad problem to me already. <laughs> yeah. When, when I met the Venerable, he was, um, well, he is an artist and he paints the stories of Buddha on the walls of pagodas all over the country. And so I think for him it just, from what I understood anyway, it was just a natural reaction of him to kind of put down the paintbrushes and pick up a camera and start documenting what was happening around him. He just, you know, he arrived at the hospital when his brother and nephew were brought there after mm -hmm. being shot and he just started filming and made, taught himself how to use some editing software and, and made a bunch of copies and gave them out to his community and it started from there. So that was nearly um, an intuitive thing, the, yeah. the, 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 that his cameras and his um, equipment was, was, was his weapon of choice because he, he began to document and then, you know, publish it and, and, and make copies. But you, you're also now, you're very social media savvy, you, you Facebook Live, um, you have a world audience. So is that something that has happened quite organically through this, this process the last decade? Yeah, I mean, you know, social media played a huge role in the political upheaval that you see in the film because the state-run media is all censored, so there's no kind of free freedom of expression, free, free media in Cambodia. Um, with the advent of social media and Facebook, they were people were able to circumnavigate that censorship and start to get information out there. And the Venerable was one of the definitely at the forefront of doing that. He was always he knows about the latest technological advances way before I do. Like he's really he does Facebook Live posts and gets like two hundred thousand people watching and stuff when he's filming protests. So it's a very powerful tool mm. and something the government's certainly afraid of. Like yeah. So you're known as the the multimedia monk, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. Uh, multimedia man is a foreigner journalist called me and for me no I'm just a, a film what happened that if I don't have a camera don't have smartphone and my body so my body look like not safety <laughs> but when I'm have it and have internet I look like oh many many people around me so when I have a problem by police block or arrested so I can say quickly to the world or to the people to know what happened real. So like this, that uh, the camera or the smartphone and also the social media very, very uh, powerful in Cambodia. Why like this? Because TV and radio and newspaper and media, all the media in Cambodia controlled by the government. So they limit all, not to saw to publish what happened real. For example, the a Cambodian Spring uh, documentary. So uh, like this, uh, cannot publish in Cambodia. All those watching on the DVD and the home or in the NGO is the government know. 
we uh, to do like this, they will to stop. So like this, uh, not free and fair uh, media in Cambodia only only uh, Facebook, only uh, internet that the people can see real, real news, real evidence. So uh, uh, now Cambodia, Cambodian youth, the young generation, they use they use the um, social media. So when they see what happened real. Real news in Cambodia, like of human rights violation, or injustice, land grabbing, and also uh, many many things like this. The people they follow, they watching. When they watching, they seeing uh, real news like this. Their mind change, and when their mind change, their uh, when they change from their mind, and they go to vote and vote for change. So right now, Cambodia, we change already. The Khmer people, almost 100 percent, the Khmer people change already. But whatever, they not change because no chance to change, and the government control everything. Army, court, and including the Buddhism, yeah, Buddhism control everything. So, uh, 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 like this, that the uh, the Cambodian need to help uh, from any country like United Nations, European Union, any country that sign uh, peace agreement, Paris peace agreement uh, in France to bring democracy to Cambodia in 1993. So the Democracy happened in Cambodia because our international country to uh, send democracy to Cambodia. But over 20 years ago, from uh, year to year, the Khmer people understand and understand about democracy. And right now, they know clearly about democracy and very, very hungry to like to see a real democracy. But when the people uh, change already, change, change by vote, not change by weapon, not change by violence, change by vote, so the ruling party, the government, they delete, delete opposition, delete uh, uh, activity uh, like uh, human rights defender like Tevani, yeah, Tevani, they accuse, accuse her is a revolution, re, a revolution lady, a revolution group also. So delete all right now, delete all. So like this, we, we, need, we need to help from any country again to save democracy in Cambodia. Yeah. Okay. Venerable, I think we'll ask, does anyone, would anyone like to speak to Chris or ask Chris or the Venerable um, a question about the documentary? Now is your time. Speak now. Yep. This gentleman here. Yeah. No, I just had a question for the... Sorry. Um, I just have a question for the Venerable. Um, throughout the entire documentary and all of the, the period of time, um, 
all of these atrocities are happening all around him to his family members, etc. But he's always smiling and he's always positive. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, what's his inspiration for the positivity? How does how does he stay positive and smiling through all of this adversity? Yeah. Um, yeah, in Cambodia, as you know, uh, one day, Sri Than arrested or cracked down to me, they use violence and angry to me. So in the wisdom of the philosophy of the Buddhism, uh, the Buddha said we should be use non-violation to win the violation. So when they angry to me, I'm not angry to them. When they curse me, I'm happy and smiling to them. So when I'm use activity non-violation like this, the lay people, the Khmer people, they can see who wrong, who right. And also, uh, all those, they make violence against me. But my heart, my compassion, I still keep a meditation and my mind because I'm, whatever I'm doing is right. Right in the Buddhism rule, national law, international law. And why they use violence against me? Why they accuse uh, my activity illegal, illegal like this? So whatever that we know, we we doing right. We seek, uh, we uh, speaking right, and we uh, thinking right like this. So we are happy. We are happy, and to use non-violent again violation. And until now, so I'm still, I mean, I'm still working step by step, more and more. For example, before only one man like me to, to join activity for uh, social justice, uh, to make a solidarity, to join solidarity with the people, with the uh, uh, community to protest. But after I'm uh, working non-violation advocacy for justice uh, from day to day, month to month, year to year, and many monks stand up like me to join with me. As you know, in the Cambodian Spring, many monks, a hundred, a thousand monks to join. But when the monks join protesting non-violation like me in 2013, before national vote election, during vote election, after vote election, violence happened again by shooting, crackdown. So the monk keep quiet again. They break, they break monk not to make a solidarity together. So some monk afraid, they quiet. And some monk, um, uh, they stop, and some monk escape from Cambodia. And until 2017, the vote election again by uh, so the monk is not many like is not many monk joined like uh, 2013. It's small, but still strong, still strong to vote. So the monk almost 100 percent vote for change, not support violation, not support the. Uh, the, 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 the uh, political party that always use violation. 
So, uh, like this, that we should be keep smiling for hoping. And right now, all those, they do uh, very bad like this to delete democracy, to uh, destroy everything, but I'm still uh, hope because the many people in the world, they know. Before, they don't know Cambodia. But right now, in the world, they know what happened in Cambodia. For example, right now, the situation right now, the United Nations, the European Union, the many, many countries, they signed petition, 140, count, uh, 140 countries, they signed petition to Cambodia uh, to stop use uh, power to delete uh, opposition party to free uh, politician, free human rights defender, and also uh, to free uh, media, free NGO. So like this, I think many people in the world, they following and watching to Cambodia. So in the name of I am Buddhist monk, I am a Cambodian, I'm still hope. Yeah, still hope because in, in the world will change. Why Cambodia not change? So we need to change also. Change for what? Change, for, change from bad to good. Change from wrong to right. <coughs> this is the need we need to change. Yeah. Okay, does anyone else have anything they'd like to ask? Um, we'll go for the lady in red. Um, first of all, congratulations on a fantastic documentary. It's really, really interesting. Thank you. Um, and at the beginning of the Q&A, Chris, you were talking about that moment where you were in Van, the Venerable Sobath, and the part of it was um, that you wanted to stay there and document it and ensure that he wasn't, um, that the monk police hadn't been able to get to him. So how difficult was it for you during the process in the years that you spent filming this documentary to kind of keep that separation between what you were there doing as a documentary maker and then getting involved with the protagonists or the venerable and their story and uh, the need to help to protect them? Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't actually that I was going to try and stop them arresting them. It was more just that I would be there if it happened and be able to document it because um, I always said from the beginning that I wouldn't be able to interfere or, or have any play any role other than being an observer and being outside the situation documenting. Uh, and because people had been so generous and in allowing me into their lives and allowing me to document and putting themselves at risk, as I was saying, I felt a real obligation to sort of stay and make sure that uh, I was able to do that for as long as possible. Okay, I think we have time for one more question. So, um, this lady over here in the glasses. Thank you. John Mubzilla Venerable. Kim Chang Tawang Pratik Kampuchea. I spent three years working in Cambodia with an NGO. I feel very sad watching <laughs> The result of three years of work from 1990 to the end of 1993, based in Kampung Spoo, and wondering what now the Irish government, the Irish people, can do to further the rights of my colleagues and NGO workers in Cambodia 
given the fact that we have an Irish embassy in Vietnam, we have an Irish embassy in China, in Beijing, and we all know who was behind Hun Sen in supporting his power base until today. Al contra. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what you can do. Certainly there's lots of things that people can do. Um, there's a petition for, well, first of all, Tep Vanny's in prison at the moment, and she's part of a global campaign that uh, Amnesty International have called the Brave, Stand Up for the Brave campaign. So there's a petition there that people can sign and send off to call in for her early release. And it's also possible, you know, to write to your government as well and say that that you don't approve of what's happening with the Cambodian government. The EU have a lot of preferential trade deals with Cambodia and things like that. So there's leverage that people can put on their own governments as well, um, calling for an end to the forced evictions or, and things like that. And but the best thing you, that you can do is look at the big NGOs like Frontline Defenders, Amnesty Human Rights Watch, who are working in the country and see what actions they have and, and try to get work that way. Or if you have a more involved interest, then you can go and look at the local NGOs who are working on the ground, like the Cambodian NGOs, they're always in need of support, donor support as well, because funding is so difficult for them to come by. Yeah, and also I want to all of you push to uh, your government to sign to uh, solidarity to help uh, uh, rescue democracy in Cambodia also. Yeah. Because uh, you are living in democracy country and you have a power in the name of the people and can push to the National Assembly or the government yes, to, uh, to, uh, to make solidarity together to help to save democracy in Cambodia. Okay. The film's out on release as well from the 4th of May around the country, so if you can let other people know about the film, the more people <coughs> who know about it and who are talking about it, then the more people that are interested in, in getting involved and helping. Yeah. Was there? Okay, we didn't find anything when we were researching. It's interesting. Okay, guys, I'm afraid we have to wrap it up. Um, Thanks very much for coming, and I'm sure you'll join me again in congratulating Chris and the Venerable for a really brilliant documentary.